It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. All righty, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. The show is made possible by patrons like Anamorfer and James55 and Michelle and Chris and Jocelyn and Peggy and Elk and LL and Steven. Thank you very much for all of your support. They became patrons, and to support the show, you can too. Uh, you can visit thepetecalendarshow.com. You can look up on the top right-hand side, and you'll see a link for Pete's patrons. You click that, and that's how you get there. Um, some good news on the vaccine front. Yeah, so we have that. Some good news for churches that are looking to do some worship services. Uh, and then we're also going to talk to Stacy Matthews from redstate.com about some not-so-good news for Joe Biden. Uh, mixing up a little non-COVID-related items into the show, as we can, you know, because life is more than the plague. Um, so first, the uh, the good news here from Moderna, which is a biotech company, Moderna or Moderna, and it's modern with an A, Moderna. Um, they reported positive data on its potential coronavirus vaccine from an early clinical trial, which is raising hopes about the effort. The company says that early data from phase one the clinical trial showed that people given the potential vaccine generated an immune response similar to that in people who had recovered from the disease. So the level of neutralizing antibodies, according to The Hill, were at oh, that's the hill.com, the publication that I'm reading the story from um, the neutralizing antibodies. The levels of the antibodies were at or above the levels that they see in the blood samples from people who actually got coronavirus and then recovered. Still, the data is early and the result is only from the first eight participants in the trial. Uh, the company also said that the vaccine was, quote, generally safe and well tolerated. Again, this was the first trial. There's only eight people involved. All of the side effects that they found or they saw, including redness in one participant around the injection site, um, have so far been, quote, transient and self-resolving. The company noted uh, that there were no serious side effects that have been reported so far, and the potential vaccine was successful in preventing the virus from replicating in the lungs of mice in another one of their studies. So that's a positive development. They're about to begin phase two, and uh, if all goes well, they hope to be into phase three by July. So good news. Also, good news. If you are looking for a mattress, I have got the uh, company for you. I have got the local sleep consultants that will help you get the right mattress for you and your sleeping style. Uh, because it does matter, by the way. And the folks at Mattress Man, they know this, that if you sleep on your stomach, uh, chances are you're going to require a, a different mattress than somebody who sleeps on their back. Because you sleep in different positions, and so the firmness and, uh, the, you know, can you raise the head of the bed or the feet of the bed? Like, all of these different things factor into finding the right mattress for you. And I'm not an expert on this, but the folks at Mattress Man are. They go through six weeks of intensive training, intensive and extensive training. Um, it's like boot camp. 
But in order to be a sleep consultant, you got to know all of this stuff. You got to learn all about how people sleep, uh, how mattresses are made, what makes a good mattress the right fit for different people. So give them a call or go to their website or go to their store, which by the way, they are doing private in-store appointments. Social distancing is observed. One guest or couple at a time, their card readers and registers are all sanitized after each use, and they use single-use uh, pillowcases for each visitor, okay? So they're doing this responsibly and safely. Uh, you can uh, make a private appointment by phone. Uh, you can do it over the uh, video. If you want to do a video conference with them, they can do that. Or if you want to go in-store, uh, they've set up the protocols to help you do that safely. Uh, if you go to their website, mattressmanstores.com, click the Shop Online button and order online right now with free local white glove delivery service. And get 20% off if you use the discount code RESTWELL. All one word, RESTWELL. 20% off. Uh, they do have the 120-day comfort guarantee. So uh, if you get a mattress and for some reason it's not the right mattress for you, they'll exchange it for free. The 120-day comfort guarantee. And by the way, they do ship all over the place, all over America. So mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. All right, and some good news for churches that want to um, engage in worship services. Again, a federal judge issued a TRO, a temporary restraining order, that prevents the enforcement of Governor Roy Cooper's executive orders, uh, the ones specifically that restrict church worship in North Carolina. Uh, a group that was founded by pastors and churches sued Governor Cooper over his executive orders, the Stay Home Executive Order, or the SHEO, um, alleging that they violate the U.S. and North Carolina constitutions. U.S. District Court Judge James C. Deaver heard arguments uh, on Friday from a group of plaintiffs who challenged Cooper's authority to restrict religious activities. The North State Journal reports that on Saturday, the judge said the plaintiffs are likely to succeed on the merits of their case. Uh, this is a free exercise claim concerning the Assembly for Worship in this executive order 138 uh and uh, also that he said that they will suffer irreparable harm without getting this tro if the if if he doesn't issue the tro uh and that the equities tip in their favor and that a temporary restraining order is in the public interest he went on to say that quote there is no pandemic exception to the constitution of the united states or the free exercise clause of the first amendment so I have his ruling here, and what is pretty amazing, I okay, <clears throat> I was aware that there was a lawsuit that was coming. I was not following the oral arguments, so I'm just reading from the judge's ruling here, and it's pretty amazing. It, it, it is pretty amazing that the governor's lawyer was not better prepared for these oral arguments. Either that, or maybe there just is no actual argument to be made and so we're trying to, you know, you're asking him to defend a position that's basically indefensible. And maybe that's why it seemed like he was unprepared when, in fact, he just had no ability to defend the indefensible. So here is what the judge writes in his in his ruling. At oral argument, the court asked the governor's counsel if Executive Order 138, quote, means that any religious entity can hold an indoor service at any time of any size if it wants to, as long as it's following social distancing. Right. This, to me, has been sort of the, the most obvious question 
that the governor has never had an answer for. At his press conferences, he doesn't have an answer for it. His Department of Health and Human Services Secretary, Mandy Cohen, she doesn't have an answer for it. They talk about, oh, well, you're standing in one place and you're packed in close together and you're sitting down and standing up, but you're not moving around, you're not walking around or whatever. And it's this it's a it's a false construct. They're saying that uh, there's no other way to conduct religious worship services in a church setting unless you pack people in shoulder to shoulder and have them sing on each other, right? Uh, and, and exchange all of the the lung droplets, right? Uh, and that's not the case. If you can figure out a way to socially distance and to uh you know space people apart in a in a retail setting and you're able to figure this out for uh for retailers then why would you assume that churches can't do the same thing right it it it's made no sense to me and which it didn't it obviously didn't make sense to the judge either because the governor's council when asked um does this mean that these Churches can hold indoor services as long as they observe your social distancing rules, maybe wear masks and stuff. And the the lawyer for the governor said no. He then went on to discuss the Executive Order 138, Section 6C, which says, because the risk of COVID-19 spread is much greater in an indoor setting, any gatherings of more than 10 people that are allowed under subsection 6A shall take place outdoors unless impossible. Right. I was talking about this last week. Well, what does impossible mean? What's the definition of impossible? So the the uh, lawmakers and media, they started asking, what does this mean? Churches, they started asking, what does this mean? And so the governor's counsel then said, well, first, at the oral arguments, the governor's lawyer said uh, that it would be a sheriff or other local law enforcement officer who would decide whether the religious entity or individual was correct in deciding whether it was impossible to worship outside. And, like, this raises all sorts of problems, right? Because do you want the sheriff being the one to determine whether or not it's possible for you to worship indoors or outdoors? But, like, that's not, that that, that should not be up on the, uh, or on the sheriff to decide that. And the judge says that's a remarkable answer in light of the free exercise clause of the Constitution. He says a leader of a religious entity or worshiper under pain of criminal prosecution for a class two misdemeanor has to answer to a sheriff or other local law enforcement officer, whether it's impossible to worship outside. Because remember the, the governor's guidance here that when asked by uh, the churches and the lawmakers and the media, like, what do you mean that unless it's otherwise impossible, what does impossible mean? Does that include, you know, if it's too hot outside, does that include if it's raining? Like, what does that mean? And his response, the, the remember Lee Lilly, the uh, the lawyer turned lobbyist, or sorry, the sorry, the legislative aide for Congressman Butterfield, North Carolina Democrat, uh, turned lobbyist uh, for Dominion Energy, which cut the deal with Ray Cooper for his $58 million slush fund just at the same time that Lee Lilly came from the law uh, the lobbying firm. Uh, working for Dominion Energy, then joined the governor's staff. Remember that guy. He put out this guidance and basically said impossible would be like, well, you know, let's say basically your religious um, uh, sacrament or, or, or ritual requires you to be inside with more than 10 people. And apparently there is some sort of a ritual in, the, in, the, uh, in Judaism that uh, requires you to be indoors with more than 10 people. So unless you're basically this, you know, performing this one ritual in Judaism, then everything else is impossible. 
or sorry, everything else is possible, then nothing is impossible. You should just, everybody should be outside unless it's this one ritual in Judaism. You see the problem here? It's basically GovCo saying this religion is okay to be inside, but all the others aren't. Uh, that's a problem. It gets very close to the institution of a particular faith, right? You're playing favorites now. So this is why the judge had a lot of problems with these responses that the governor's office was giving. So no, it hasn't been just me. It hasn't been just you. The, the reason why the governor's answers and this administration's answers on a lot of this stuff seemed wacky is because they were wacky. Right, so the governor's order with this, you know, standard of impossibility to worship uh, outside, who could answer that question, the judge ans uh, asks? Yes, it is impossible. Who could answer that? After all, in the overwhelming majority of cases, members of a religious entity would have gathered to worship from somewhere else, right? They show up at the site. Um, they're all outside for a few moments, whether they traveled by public transportation by automobile, by bus, or by foot. Sure, it might be hot, it might be cold, rainy, or buggy, but when would it be impossible to worship outside? Executive Order 138 does not answer that question. The governor's guidance did, and that answer is even less satisfying. The governor's director of legislative affairs gave an example of what would qualify to permit religious organizations or groups of worshipers to have more than 10 people inside to worship. And the guidance said, for example, there may be situations in which particular religious faiths dictate that some or all of a religious service must be held indoors and that more than 10 persons must be in attendance. The judge says, again, the question becomes, who decides whether a religious organization or group of worshipers correctly determined that their religious beliefs dictated the need to have more than 10 people inside to worship? Under the executive order, the answer is a sheriff. This court has grave concerns about how that answer comports with the free exercise clause. Also, Lee Lilly's guidance makes even uh, more clear that a sheriff or other law enforcement official has the power to decide whether a religious person or entity has met the no more than 10 inside unless impossible requirement. And if the answer is wrong, the religious person or entity faces prosecution of a class two misdemeanor. But wait, there's more, he says. I'm not kidding. He literally says, but wait, there's more inconsistency. <laughs> you can tell. That this judge is not impressed with the governor's executive order or their arguments, because then he comes at the issue of funerals. Okay, he says at oral argument, the governor's council conceded that there is no public health rationale for allowing 50 people to gather inside at a funeral, but to then limit an indoor religious worship service to no more than 10 people. Right. So he, they have this different standard funerals. You can have up to 50. But if it's just a worship service, 10. Right. That's it. why. So like, what's the difference? Some funerals are religious. What, what, what then? Is that a funeral or is it a religious service? He says some funerals are not religious. The governor's council could not explain why the governor trusts those who run funerals to have 50 people inside to attend the funeral, but only trusts religious entities and individuals to have 10 people inside to worship, right? If you're telling people, uh, the you know, funeral homes or, or, or even like churches that are running a funeral, if you're telling them that, well, you can do these funerals and have up to 50 people as long as you're following our guidelines of distancing and mask wearing and sanitizing and all that, well, then what's the difference between having a religious service 
and telling people the same thing. See, this is this has been the, in my opinion, the dishonest conflation uh, of uh, opening up your worship service means abandoning all of the social distancing guidelines, and that's not fair. That's not honest. That's not true, right? These, as we spoke with um, uh, the uh, pastor uh, Rabin last week. Right from one of the churches, he was at this press conference where the, this group was suing. He was uh, among the plaintiffs there, uh, although he wasn't actually part of the lawsuit, but he was there in support of the plaintiffs. Um, you know, they're taking all of these steps to try to protect their congregation, and so uh, why would you assume that uh, simply allowing them to go from ten people to fifty or fifty uh, percent capacity or whatever that they would automatically just abandon all of the the protocols? and start stuffing people into the pews so they could spread COVID-19 all over the place. It, it, it's just, it's, it's always been a dishonest approach to the argument. The governor has made this argument, and it's, it's dishonest. That, oh, we're trying to limit the spread of this thing by banning everybody from being in a church uh, uh, chapel together. Even if they're six feet apart? Yes. Why? Reasons. That's essentially what the, I mean, that's essentially been their position. And the judge just dismantles it. He goes on to say, they don't seek to insulate themselves, they being the church here. The churches are not trying to insulate themselves from the general public health guidelines. They just want to incorporate them into their worship services indoors. They're willing to follow the hygiene requirements that the governor, direct quote here, the governor has offered no good reason for refusing to trust the congregants who promise to use care in worship in just the same way that he trusts accountants, lawyers, and laundromat workers to do the same. How can the same person be trusted to comply with social distancing and other health guidelines in secular settings, but not be trusted to do the same in religious settings? Eleven men and women can stand side by side working indoors Monday through Friday at a hospital or at a plant or a packaging distribution center, and they can be trusted to follow social distancing and hygiene guidance, but the same eleven men and women cannot be trusted to do the same when they worship inside together on Saturday or Sunday? The distinction defies explanation, or at least the governor has not provided one. And he still hasn't. And by the way, the governor says he's not going to appeal this decision, because of course he couldn't. <laughs> of course you couldn't. You couldn't even muster a, a, a believable, plausible argument here. On a, what, You think that gets better on appeal? The judge says this court does not doubt that the governor is acting in good faith to lessen the spread of COVID-19 to protect North Carolinians, but restrictions inexplicably applied to one group and exempted from another do little to further these goals and do much to burden religious freedom. Later on in his ruling, he says... Um, that the record reveals, although it's still early, he says the record reveals that the governor appears to trust citizens to perform non-religious activities indoors, like shopping or working or selling merchandise, but he does not trust them to do the same when they worship indoors together. Right? It, it does make you wonder, for all of the, the comments that uh, Roy Cooper has made about how, you know, I'm an elder in my church and uh, I miss my going to church, I miss seeing my fellow congregants, um, for all, for all of that talk, why did it never occur to you that, I don't know, like your church would be able to implement these distancing rules, right? What, what's going on? Now, 
an interesting development over the weekend occurred, <clears throat> and I'm not sure I believe this. Uh, like I, well, right now I don't because I try to give people the benefit of the doubt. But there is a growing um, theory, let's call it, that the governor's slow opening of the state and uh, the reason why he's taking all of these steps in the manner he's he's taking them. It's all about the Republican National Convention in Charlotte, slated to be held, uh, you know, uh, what, September or something. And uh, that if uh, if you slow the reopening of the state, you slow this thing so far down, you can basically prohibit the Republicans from coming to town, which the Democrats, especially down in Charlotte, the Democratic uh, elected officials down there, uh, they've been getting beaten up by their base uh, who hate Republicans, and how dare you allow the Republicans and Donald Trump to come into our city? We're going to, you know, violently uh, disrupt it and, uh, you know, we'll destroy our city rather than have Republicans uh, come for three days. Like, that's, that, that, that's been the backlash that they've been getting for the last few months since they announced it. Um, and now, even more so, now the Democratic elected officials down there are under enormous pressure to find a way to cancel the convention. Again, I don't think that's what's going on because I'm giving Cooper and the mayor of Charlotte, I'm giving them all the benefit of the doubt on that. I don't think that's the case. I I would prefer to not believe the worst of motives among them. Um, But when it comes to this religious order um, or the uh, the executive order for religious groups and these uh, worship services, it's just indefensible. And it always has been. And it's a shame that it took this long in a lawsuit for us to get here. Uh, but maybe that's because, you know, the governor doesn't allow for follow-up questions during his telephone press conferences. Um, the judge says government cannot in a selective manner impose burdens only on conduct motivated by religious belief. He points out that there are 15 other governors that, who trusted their people um, to follow the, you know, the recommendations in, uh, in worship services. He, uh, and then the judge says that the governor has failed to cite any peer-reviewed study showing that religious interactions in those 15 states actually accelerated COVID-19, right? So there's no proof that what you're saying is the reason why you impose these restrictions. You offer no proof that that's actually the case, that, that what you did uh, has had some sort of benefit or that you believed it would have some sort of benefit. You cite no evidence to suggest t- anything to the contrary. Um, and finally, he says, the governor cannot treat religious worship as a world apart from non-religious activities with no good explanation, or more importantly, no constitutional explanation. So that's about as bad of a smackdown as I think you can get. Mike Watley, the North Carolina Republican Party chairman, said, quote, it is disappointing that Governor Cooper refused to sit down with church leaders and try to find a solution to their concerns. We need leadership in the governor's mansion. This uh, goes to a point I've been making and question I've been asking for a while now, which is who exactly is advising the governor on all of this stuff? He talks about surge groups and task, uh, task forces and uh, advisory groups and people that he's talking to but he never tells us who there's like if you have a task force set up can we know who's on it who are the people that are helping you make all of these decisions because i kind of suspect there weren't any there weren't any preachers on it there weren't any representatives of the faith community by the way the south carolina department of health and environmental control announced over the weekend uh that on um 
Saturday, there were zero deaths. That is the first time uh, that there was a day without a COVID-19 related death uh, since March 20th. So a day without a COVID death, first time occurred in South Carolina this weekend. And in Asheville, the Rise and Shine Cafe on Merriman Avenue opened to dine-in customers this weekend in defiance of Buncombe County officials' orders for restaurants to remain closed except for curbside pickup, uh, takeout, and delivery. Jason Sanford uh, at ashvegas.com. Uh, he tweeted out about a Facebook post over the weekend uh, from Rise and Shine Cafe. They've since locked down that Facebook, by the way. I tried to uh, look for it myself, but it was locked down as a private group. The Rise and Shine Cafe post says in part, quote, you have every right to not visit our cafe. And if you are afraid, you should stay home. Every adult should have the right to make their own decisions, which includes visiting a restaurant or not. Uh, Also, they say people will try to politicize this. It has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with people's need to work. It's a sad day in America when small businesses and their employees are being harassed for trying to survive. Uh, By the way, some of the comments (laughs) in that uh, Ash Vegas uh, or in reply to the Ash Vegas tweet uh, included not cool at all. Also, not fair to all the other restaurants. Or, they picked the wrong town to pull this in. I'm not really sure why this is, what do you mean, the wrong town? Like, we're a bunch of sheep and lemmings, and if you tell us what to do, we're going to do it as long as you're a Democrat. And if you're a Republican, then then we're going to fight you on it. But but if you're a Democrat issuing these orders, we're totally going to roll over for you. And and, and, and we're going we're gonna to attack anybody uh, who doesn't. Somebody said, permanently closed soon. And then halfway decent food typically helps when trying to do takeout orders. Not super surprising. They only had four orders their first two days, just from my experience. I would submit there's probably a big difference in restaurants that are doing uh, breakfast service versus uh, lunch and uh, dinner service. I bet the breakfast uh, niche is a lot harder uh, to survive in these days. That's just a guess, though. This show is made possible by Schaefer Smith, scrambling to set up or improve your website. It can be overwhelming. It was for me. Uh, So let my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design help you out with logos, graphics, photos, and online store. He does search engine optimization, website maintenance, and security for professional services, corporate, small business, and entrepreneurs. Schaefer Smith. Make your site look professional, user-friendly, not just for your customers, but also for you. So you can get in there and do what you need to do with your website, and you can adapt more quickly. SchaeferSmith.com. That's SchaeferSmith.com. Also, the show is made possible by Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. If you are thinking of buying or selling your home, call the only agent that I would call if I were That's Rowena Patton, 333-4483. That's 333-4483. She understands the COVID-19 times here have impacted everybody in different ways, and you may need to sell your home. Uh, But maybe you're thinking you can't even hold an open house right now. Good news, Rowena has offered walking tour videos of her homes since 2007 on every listing, just like the real thing. That means buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. Start out with a video consult with Rowena at 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com, and then start packing. And the show is made possible by Old Grouch's Military Surplus. If you're looking to be prepared for disasters and pandemics and such, do you need some advice? If you're looking for real military surplus, 
For more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It's an old school, traditional store with a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim, he'll hook you up. You can also text him at 565-2497. That's 565-2497. You can make an order, ask about an item, get some advice. By the way, EMS, law enforcement professionals, if you're looking for uh, uniforms, send them a text, make an appointment at Old Grouch's Military Surplus across the street from the anti-aircraft gun on Main Street, downtown Clyde, and at oldgrouch.com. The Associated Press reported a sexual assault allegation is raising Joe Biden's first big challenge as the Democrats' presidential nominee, fueling Republican attacks and leaving many in his own party in an uncomfortable bind. Biden's campaign denied the allegation uh, from his former Senate staffer, Tara Reid, who has said Biden assaulted her in the basement of a Capitol Hill office uh, in the 1990s. But the story garnered fresh attention after two of Reed's associates said that she previously did tell them about elements of her allegations. Republicans who are worried about President Donald Trump's increasingly precarious political standing are now seizing on the allegation to portray Democrats as hypocrites, who only defend women who allege wrongdoing against conservatives. Uh, They are digging in, despite the fact that it could renew attention on the multiple sexual assault allegations lodged against Trump. I can almost hear her eyes rolling with this kind of media framing in this story. Uh, I want to welcome uh, Sister Tolja, based in North Carolina. She is a former liberal and 16-plus year writer with an emphasis on media bias, social issues, and the culture wars. Uh, and uh, she goes by Sister Tolja, but her name is Stacy Matthews. Welcome back to the show, Stacy. How are you? Hey, Pete. Good to be on with you. So uh, do you want to, I don't know, take a stab at any of the framing, any of the, the language choice you heard from the Associated Press's coverage of this uh, of this story? I, I, I particularly hone in on the seizing uh, comments myself. That's exactly what I was going to say when I heard you talk about that. You know, it, and, and you've made this point many times, you know, on your program and on your Twitter feed about how, you know, with when a... Democrat is in trouble. The story is not that they're in trouble. It's the Republican reaction to the idea that they might be in trouble. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, Republicans will seize and pounce on the story. You know, it's not about the actual story itself. It's about how Republicans are reacting to it. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's par for the course, you know, with the media. But what's especially interesting here, um, you know, is that they're making it sound like um, there is a question as to whether or not Democrats are being hypocritical now, right? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you know, as as if it's a question when there is no question, and and if this shoes were reversed, uh, the parties were reversed here, there would be no question that the media would portray you know Republicans as hypocrites. Um, but you know, because we're talking about a Democrat who stands accused versus you know how it was with Kavanaugh in 2018, you know the the the, the script has been uh, flipped so they have to go to the republicans pounce angle and and questioning whether or not it really actually is hypocritical it's 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 part for the course for the media but it's still it's just it's maddening it yeah. really is and we've talked before this is sort of ha- how and why you started 
blogging uh, the the subject matter that you focused on, it was this kind of coverage. It's the media bias stuff that becomes so infuriating. I mean, even where they say the uh, it's this passive uh, voice that the story garnered fresh attention this week <laughs> after two of Reed's associates said, like, it, so you like back into this. This is the new piece of information, which is these are pretty important pieces of information to people that say she told them at the time about these allegations, which is interesting because the New York Times, when it did the story like three weeks after Tara Reid finally got an interview on a podcast, uh, the New York Times said that they couldn't find anybody to corroborate her story. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so now you got two people that come forward. Yeah. Conveniently. You know, and of course, even if if they did, they would have gone. They would have dived into the background of those people too to discredit them to further try to discredit Tara Reid. So you mentioned the Kavanaugh hearing, and mm-hmm. I, I said this at the time, and I think we had discussions uh, at the time as well about this. That that the way the media behaved and the way the Democratic Party behaved and activists, but particularly the media, it it radicalized me. Um, I, I never thought that, uh, that media would behave as badly as they did and overtly, uh, blatantly as badly as they did, uh, which Mm -hmm. makes this treatment all the more blatantly galling to me because now you've got an allegation that has way more credibility and contemporaneous support during the time when she says it happened than the you know, uh, Christine Blasey Ford allegations or the Julie Swetnick allegations ever had. Um, mm-hmm. And so I like, I, I just, I wonder, because I always try to think, you know, am I in my bubble and I'm not seeing this stuff as others outside the bubble see it? Um, how do you know that others that aren't in the right wing bubble, uh, how, how do we know that the other folks outside that are are seeing this? Well, I, I try not to think about things uh, from, you know, when I'm formulating a viewpoint, I, I try not to think about it in terms of the bubble. I just read, you know, what, what information is available out there. And in and, and terms of, uh, you know, coming up coming up with a, um, a thought process as to how, you know, Democrats are reacting to this, you just have to compare and contrast, you know, between the two. And, I, and, I, and it's very easy because Democrats gave us a large body of work, Democrats and the media, gave us a large body of work to work with during the Kavanaugh confirmation process with everything that they said and they did. And the mob, the absolute uh, digital lynch mob uh, that they stirred up with um, with what they said about Brett Kavanaugh and how they uh, were all about believing all women and everything. I, I think, you know, whether or not you consider yourself as somebody in or out of the bubble, all you have to do is look at the available data that's out there between how things happened in 2018, how they played out versus how they're playing out now. And there is zero question that the hypocrisy, uh, it just absolutely stinks. I think I failed to mention that uh, you can read Stacey Matthews' work at redstate.com. Did I even mention the website? You you write for so many (laughs) different outlets, I think I forgot. Redstate.com, which is why I wanted to talk with you about this topic, because you've been sort of tracking this. Um, I, I have your uh, your author page at uh, as one of my prep pages, so I go there and I see what you're writing about. And so when I see a particular topic, a thread going through a lot of your posts, I said, "Yeah, let's let's talk about this," uh, because it, 
this story has been developing over the last several weeks. I haven't even discussed it yet at all on the show so far. Um, and it, it, it really is remarkable how long it has taken for, you know, quote, mainstream media outlets to even take up the story, um, let alone ask Joe Biden anything about it. Uh, the first, I think this was the, was the Stephanopoulos, uh, George Stephanopoulos on ABC, w- was that the first time Joe Biden has given a statement on camera, forced to answer any question about this story that you're aware of? No, the first time it, it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was the second time. The first time was when uh, Biden appeared on um, the uh, Morning Joe show with Mika and Joe, uh, where Mika uh, right. questioned him about the allegations. And then after that, it was George Stephanopoulos. And he's done, uh, he did an interview with Lawrence O'Donnell from MSNBC last night. And uh, his answers were as incoherent then as they were with Mika. And as they were with George Stephanopoulos. And you make the point in one of your posts about this, that you would think, given how long, like three, four weeks, like you would think he would have, and his communications team, they would have had time to formulate a better answer than what I'm about to play. This was linked mm-hmm. up at your uh, at your post as well. Here is George Stephanopoulos's question. This was from uh, earlier this week to Joe Biden on Good Morning America. On these allegations from Tara Reid, I know you've denied them, but you've also said that women should be believed. So what do you say to Americans who believe Tara Reid and won't vote for you because of it? Well, that's their right. Look, here, look, I think women should be believed. They should have an opportunity to have their case and state it just forthrightly what their case is. Then it's the responsibility of responsible journalists like you and everyone else to go out and investigate those. The end of the day, the truth is the truth. That's what should prevail. And the truth is this never happened. This never happened. I assure you. That's the truth. That's, that's, that was it. That was the end of the interview. So you got less than one minute. I think he was about 30 or 40 seconds there. And the question's actually framed, what do you say to Americans? Once again, backing into the allegation, what do you say to Americans who uh, don't want to vote for you because of this allegation? Right. Like that's I'm not sure you could get an, an easier ride to the question than that. Well, not only that, Pete, but you have to think when you look at Biden's answer, uh, number one, it was a garbled, incoherent mess, which is pretty standard for him, no matter what the topic is. But number two, you know, he made a comment that um, it's the responsibility of responsible journalist, journalists like you. Well, George Stephanopoulos is not a responsible journalist, so that's a falsehood in, of, in and of itself. Uh, you know, but but the problem is here is it doesn't you could sit in. And I don't even think Bill Clinton who was a master with words and the same thing with President Obama, if they were, you know, in a similar situation, I don't even think they would be able to come up with a coherent answer for this because there simply is not one. You cannot say that we must believe all women, but in this case, you must believe Joe Biden. It doesn't work. It's not coherent. The the believe all women strategy was a farce and it was a sham, and that's what it's being exposed as now in the way that Biden and uh, surrogates uh, for his campaign, uh, and even other journalists, um, you know, are, are framing the issue. You cannot say that women should be believed, but then say, "Well, except in my case, right?" It doesn't work. You either, you either believe all women or you don't. I did see. Uh, I forget who it was. Some uh, columnist, uh, some media type. They said, "You know, oh come on, it, it never was believe all women." Come on, everybody. It was, you know, believe women that are believable, basically. Like, we all right. knew what we meant at the time. 
Right. Well, and you know, if you think about it, very few people are, are saying that believe all women, that that slogan wasn't an actual slogan because that's exactly what the slogan was. It was believe all women, believe women, trust women, empower women, uh, you know, and, and, and it was born out of the Me Too movement. Uh, you know, it was the believe all women came. You know, it, it was it was it came from the Me Too mm -hmm. movement. Um, you know, but it just it's just one of the things. You've got people. I think Kirsten Powers might be the columnist you're talking about, who are trying to revise the history of of, of the believe all women rallying cry. Um, but you know, Kirsten Powers is is a person. Uh, she's a Democrat, um, and, and she she you know when the Kavanaugh allegations were out there, she was she was one of the lead. Um, con condemners of Brett Kavanaugh, uh, you know, condemning him and whatnot. And then, you know, fast forward two years and now she's singing a completely different tune when it comes to Biden. And all this boils down to is just like it was in 2018. The slogan then was about uh, political power. It was about taking down a political enemy. It wasn't really a genuine rallying cry that we really do need to take women seriously. That had nothing to do with what that slogan was about. And we are seeing that play out now in real time. Yeah, it was marketing, much like uh, March for Our Lives. It's marketing. And when you question the marketing slogan of their choice, um, and now you got two years uh, uh, distance from it, and all of a sudden it's one of their preferred candidates, now all of a sudden, well, okay, maybe the marketing uh, was a bit uh, overreaching. I, I like this also. In the New York Times, it said... Uh, where the Times found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Mr. Biden. Because when I read the, or when I heard that soundbite, when I was watching it on your post, and, and, and when he says, you know, it's up to responsible journalists like you, mm -hmm. George Stephanopoulos, former Clinton campaign uh, <laughs> spokesperson, right? right? Uh, right. Uh, it's on you to go out and basically clear my name. He's, I, I read that or heard that as he's telling them, I need you to cover for me. I'm going to need you guys to do this uh, uh, truth-telling, quote-unquote, in order to clear my name uh, because he doesn't want, obviously, like a, an FBI investigation, which is what they demanded with Kavanaugh, right? He, right. He's not going to want that. So he needs media to do the lifting uh, for him. And the Times, here's the perfect example. The New York Times, they wrote in their uh, in their uh, uh, final story that went up, it says the Times found no pattern of... Uh, sexual misconduct by Mr. Biden. The problem was um, there were edits made to this sentence, which originally said the Times found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Mr. Biden beyond the hugs, kisses and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. And they edited out the whole back end of that sentence. And when asked about it, this was an interview that Dean, is it Backhead or Backhay, uh, executive mm -hmm. editor of The Times, uh, he says, even though a lot of us, including me, had looked at it before the story went into the paper, I think that the campaign thought the phrasing was awkward and made it look like there were other instances in which he had been accused of sexual misconduct. Well, yeah, yeah so, so the campaign told you to cut the sentence and so you did. And so you did, exactly. And and you have to think, too, in the original sentence, they didn't even include everything that he has been accused of. You have to remember, um, and uh, Lucy Flores, who was the lieutenant, uh, the Nevada lieutenant governor uh, nominee, uh, I, I think I want to say 2014 or 2016, I don't remember the year. She said that he actually came up behind her and sniffed her hair. Right. <laughs> 
that was not included in the story. So even in the story where they, you know, where they talked about, you know, past in instances of alleged sexual misconduct, they even left they left out what was arguably the most bizarre part of those allegations, which was that he had a tendency to sniff women's hair while they, you know, he didn't think they were paying attention. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but the thing is, is, is that, you know, the New York Times coverage, you know, like you said before, it was three weeks after the allegations were made publicly. The allegations were first made on a on an in independent journalist broadcast in late March. Three weeks later, the New York Times writes a story. And then a couple of days after the story, they have to provide a follow up because there was so much criticism about the original story while they while they made those edits, as you mentioned. Um, the, the New York Times story set the to me, it set the example and it, it really nailed the point that the media, you know, like you said, the media back in 2018, you know, th th their their behavior during the Kavanaugh allegations was abhorrent. And it's the same way this time around, too. They're actually leading the way um, in um, in the debunking of this without even real debunking of the Believe All Women uh, rallying cry without even being aware of it, because not they don't believe Tara Reid either. They believe uh, Christine Blasey Ford the moment, you know, she uh, went public. Mm -hmm. They believed her. But with Tara Reid, it took them three weeks to, quote, unquote, investigate the allegations. And then at the end of the day, you know, they, you know, they didn't find anything there. And it, it, it's just... Meanwhile, I then go it, on and on about it. Right. And then after they after they published their story saying that they didn't find anybody to corroborate her story, none of the people that she worked with uh, would confirm it to them. Then what? About a week goes by, two weeks, maybe. And all of a sudden, boom, you got more people come forward and say, oh, yeah, yeah, she told us too." where was the New York Times investigative reporters um, uh, finding these people that like you really like they did not do a good job on this at all and um, and what's amazing is that they they justify their coverage Baquet uh, Baquet do you know how to pronounce his name Baquet Baquet I just I just assume it's Baquet I, Baquet, I don't know. Baquet. Yeah. he says uh, the Kavanaugh story I love this explanation Kavanaugh was a running hot story I don't think it's that the ethical standards were different. I think the news judgments had to be made from a different perspective in a running hot story. But because the Tara Reid allegation wasn't a, quote, running hot story, which, by the way, it doesn't get to be a running hot story if you never cover it. It's funny how that works, right? <laughs> well, you know, you know, the thing is, too, is that, you know, what part of what he was saying was, hey, well, you know, Brett Kavanaugh was in the middle of a confirmation process. This was an ongoing developing uh, situation with with the confirmation process but i don't know how much of a hot political story ongoing political story you can get than someone who is the 2020 presumptive democratic presidential nominee i mean that's even bigger than the supreme court nominee um you know so you know that excuse just just doesn't hold any water i mean it's a you know joe biden's nomination is an ongoing story uh you know where he falls on the issues is, is an ongoing story it's important to the people of america and what he may or may not have done back in 1993 
uh, considering the seriousness of the allegation, certainly is an important story and it's worth covering. It's worth covering in real time, not three weeks after the story breaks. And I, th- I believe at the time, Bernie Sanders had not dropped out of the race at that point officially either. So there was still he, he a... Hadn't. Yeah. So he hadn't. wasn't Joe Biden the same? Wasn't he the one that would go skinny dipping in the pool in front of Secret Service agents as well, female Secret Service agents? Was that Biden as well? I seem to recall yeah, that story. Yeah, I've, I've, heard, I've heard that. Yes, I, I don't... I Honestly, I can't say it's whether it's it's true or not, but I have... I have heard that said about him before, and mm. and, and honestly, it, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if I, you know, nobody really knows outside of somebody it may have happened to, whether or not Joe Biden, you know, is guilty of sexual assault of Tara Reid or anybody else. But I don't, I don't think it's even arguable that Joe Biden is a creepy old man. <laughs> I, I really don't think it's arguable. Right. I mean, you you even had some Democrats that were openly talking about this several years ago about how he acts around women, how he gets too close to women. He invades their personal space. Um, he sniffs their hair, which is something Lucy Flores said about him. Um, and, and there's some of the, some of the videos are even more disturbing about, you know, the way that he touches some of these younger, young girls. Yeah, the kids. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to, re- I mean, when I first heard people talk about that, I was like, no, you're not, you're, you're, you're not, you, you can't be really serious about this. But then I saw the videos, not just pictures, but the videos. I don't think it's arguable that Joe Biden is a creepy old man. And he and he's not just a creepy old man, but I think he probably was creepy in his younger days too. You have to think this is the guy who ran in the in the Kennedy circles, the the, the Ted Kennedy circles. And Ted Kennedy was a notorious womanizer. You mm-hmm. can't tell me and, and, and you know, that they weren't that far apart from each other in the Senate. Uh, you know, so you can't tell me that they didn't have this boys club mentality when it came to women, even though they were both married. You can't tell me that they didn't have that type of creepy man, you know, I'm, I'm a powerful senator, you know, you, you can do whatever I wanted, whatever I demand of you and that sort of thing. So I, I think, you know, Reed's allegations, you know, have credibility. But, you know, beyond that, you know, we, we won't really ever know for sure if that actually happened. But like I said, I think it's not arguable at all that he is actually a creepy, dirty old man. He really is. I think we're overlooking the very real, powerful defense of joe biden by u.s senator chuck schumer who has known biden forever let's take a listen to schumer's defense of joe biden on this look before um uh the me too movement women were not listened to who um uh were telling what had happened to them since me too women are listened to now i've heard joe biden's uh explanation i think it's sufficient I think he will be a great candidate. I think he will be a great president, and I think he'll take us t- take help us take back the Senate. Okay, so uh, first off, I'm not aware of Joe Biden's explanation on any of this. It's just a denial. There is no explanation. He says it didn't happen. Um, I'm not even aware if he said he, he remembers this woman. Right? Does, does does he acknowledge knowing her at any point? No, he doesn't. I, you know, and the thing about what Schumer said is that if if all it takes is for a man to deny the allegation, then that means that Brett Kavanaugh was innocent too. And we shouldn't have had, you know, the two, three, four weeks that we had of the absolute hell that was the confirmation hearing for him. You know, if, if all it takes is for is for a man to say that they're not guilty of what they're being accused of, then nobody's, then no man's guilty. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's, that's essentially what, what Schumer was saying. There. And I don't, if you saw that, if you watched the video, I don't know if you just heard it or if you watched it too, 
but he honestly looked like he was being held hostage in that video. <laughs> um, you know, it looked like he was extremely uncomfortable with saying it, like almost like he knew that people would read right through what he was saying to the hypocritical nature of, of his statement. Um, you know, cause seriously, I mean, you have to think the, the Kavanaugh stuff went on for a good, what, six weeks. Uh, we heard about the allegations, or maybe even more than that. We heard about the allegations. We, you know, there was an FBI hearing demanded. No, nobody on the Democratic side is demanding an FBI hearing or anything like that this time around. It's it's all or nothing, uh, you know, with Joe Biden and Bill Maher from Politically Incorrect. You know, he he kind of accidentally admitted why Democrats are taking this approach with Biden because he's their let, let, uh, only great white hope mm-hmm. to get rid of Trump. So they're basically, I mean, you know, you know, there could be a story come out tomorrow that accuses Joe Biden of genocide, you know, five years ago or 20 years ago or whatever. And Democrats would still figure out a way to excuse it. That's well, how desperate they are to get rid of Trump. I think you're forgetting, though, the uh, the recommendation I thought was pretty solid. I think it came from the New York Times editorial board that said uh, there should be an investigation by the Democratic Party into these allegations. <laughs> <laughs> and that would put us all at ease, I'm sure. I, you know, I, you honestly, you know, when people, you know, joke all the time about clown shows, how politics is nothing but a big clown show, this, this is almost quite literally a clown show from the, from start to finish between how Democrats are treating the allegations to how the media are running interference for uh, Joe Biden and for other Democrats who are defending him. It, it, it look quite literally is almost a clown show uh, at this point. The only thing missing are the elephants and the balloons. My guest is Stacy Matthews. She is a writer at redstate.com. She's based here in North Carolina. She has written under the name Sister Tolja. Uh, she's a former liberal, 16-plus-year writer with an emphasis on media bias, social issues, and the culture wars. Uh, Stacy, I appreciate your time, and uh, we'll look forward to having you back on soon. Pete, thank you very much. All right, and we'll actually have Stacy on uh, a little bit later in the week. We'll talk about... Uh, what's going on in North Carolina as Governor Ray Cooper, sorry, Roy Cooper, loses the consent of the governed. That's a wrap for this episode. Remember, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the reviews. If you like it, if you don't like it, uh, then no need to leave a review at all. Um, and consider maybe becoming a patron of the program. You can get cool stuff, exclusive content. Links are all at com. Also in the description of the podcast here. So thanks so much for your support. We'll talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>